this morning. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you in Alice Springs. You're the mob that stayed in because it was cold this morning, didn't you? You didn't get out of bed early. So <laughs> I wish I could have done the same thing myself. <clears throat> they got me up early in the freezing cold. I come from Melbourne, but I want to tell you it's colder in Alice Springs than it is in Melbourne in the morning. Come on, admit it. It's all right. It's fine. It's a lovely place to live. I love Alice Springs. It's beautiful. I visit here all the time. It's fantastic. But uh, boy, it was cold this morning. Colder yesterday, I think. Yeah? Get on with it. I'm not interested in talking to you. Just get on with the preaching. Okay. <clears throat> I have two things that I want to do with you today. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your engagement with us in mission. Uh, because of your engagement with us in mission, we've been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things around the world. Now, every time I talk to a church about this and thank them for their engagement with us, there is sort of a sense, a feeling, uh, because this is our family and uh, our family of churches and our fellowship throughout Australia, that there is this Aussie feeling like if it's us, it can't be very good, can it? You get that feeling sometimes? Oh, yes, just ACC. They're not very good. You know, we're just, it's just our family. There's, there's a very Australian thing about that, which uh, I want to say to you when it comes to your mission is very wrong. Uh, you don't know much about your mission. That's why I'm here. I want to keep you informed and tell you about it. And you're not aware of just how fantastic your mission is. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm fantastic, but I want to tell you that the people I work with and what they do is absolutely fantastic and has very significant influence and does some pretty amazing things. So I'd like to just bring you up to date on some of those amazing achievements of your mission over the last two years so that you can know with absolute confidence that your mission is extremely effective. You may not know, but when this fellowship first began over 70-plus years ago in Australia, that the small number of churches got together in a room, and I've seen the pictures, and there was about 30 people representing far less than 30 churches. There may be about five or six churches, uh, three or four sort of different groups of people. Uh, they decided that they would unite together, that they would have unity around certain things, and they would operate together in unity. The first thing was, of course, their beliefs. Their belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Bible is the Word of God, their belief in the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, healing, second coming of Jesus Christ, all those beliefs that they held in common. They said, we want to be united around these things. Then they decided that the expression of that would need to, to contain certain things. And, of course, they were committed to evangelism and committed to growing churches. But also they said, we need to train leaders. So they, right at that very beginning, they decided to start a Bible college and to do Bible training for leaders and pastors and missionaries. And they said, well, okay, if we're going to train missionaries as part of our, our global vision, we need a missions arm, a missions uh, ministry. So they created at the same time a mission ministry. So right at the very beginning, at the, at the initial seeds of our fellowship, they were sown both Bible training and missions. And that mission has continued to grow and expand, and it has been changing over the years and adapting to the new conditions and new demands and new needs and new opportunities that the world provides for us. So let me give you an idea of where we are then uh, from the last two years. We reported this to the National Conference and printed it up in our conference report, but I'll just give you a brief summary. In the last two years, you're around about at any one time, say, 
140 missionaries. They planted 499 churches in two years. Now, I know you seem to be underwhelmed, but let me say this to you, okay? 140 people planted 499 churches. So if we said this half of the church like here, how many churches did you plant? Oh, none. Right. So these guys did very well, didn't they? They did very well. Fantastic. Huh? So when you have a look at that, that is actually more churches than the entire fellowship in Australia planted in the same period of time. So they're very effective and very productive, and these churches are planted in all sorts of different types of communities, different countries, different cultures, different political situations, communist, Islamic, all sorts of stuff, Hindu. They're all being planted churches throughout all of those environments. At the same time, they train 12,632 indigenous leaders. 12,632 indigenous leaders. So I want you to understand what we mean by that. That's not Bible school graduates, okay? So we didn't do 12,000 Bible school graduates. No, for us, leadership is more than just Bible school graduates. Yes, we're training Bible schools and Bible school graduates, but we have to train other types of leaders too. So we have to train leaders in community development programs, leaders in water education programs, leaders in health ed, uh, education programs. So we train leaders in all sorts of ways to go back into community and bring transformation. Not just plant church, but bring transformation to community as well. So this small number of missionaries have trained 12,000 leaders on top of all the rest that they've done. They've seen during that time 7,907 people accept Christ as their as a Savior. Isn't that fantastic? 7,000 people. Wow. Wow. That's astounding. I get amazed. It's if you just work it out, that is just absolutely astounding, the influence that that small n- number of people have had. They saw 1,000 462 people filled with the Holy Spirit, 1,747 baptized in the water. And they took uh, 1,168 people in teams. So if you want to be a, you know, go on a team and have some mission experience, our missionaries will look after you. We do it very, very well. Now, we get uh, even larger numbers and more significant influence when you consider that uh, during that two-year period, 357 1,953, that's a lot, isn't it? Children were helped. So let's call it close to 360,000 kids were helped. 360,000 kids. What's the population of the Northern Territory again? What? Only 250,000. So we're telling you we help more children than there are people in the Northern Territory in two years. That, that is amazing, isn't it? That's your fellowship. That's the fellowship that doesn't do much, you know? People said, oh, you don't do children very well. No, no, we did 300,000 kids. We do it very well. Now, what don't we do? All right, when we do kids, they are not children. None of those children are placed in an orphanage or an institution because it's totally unnecessary. Why would you ever build an orphanage? It is a total waste of money. Oh, I got your attention, haven't I? See, the, the world figures are 
And these are not by us. These are United Nations figures, well-researched throughout the world and every nation of the world. 90% of children in orphanages around the world have living parents who would like to have their children back. But they can't have them back because the orphanage has got them and won't let them come home. And the orphanage won't let them come home because they make money out of them. Because people will give money to the orphanage because they've got all these children who are not orphans. Okay? And they keep them there and they keep the money coming in so the people running the orphanage and that organization that runs the orphanage gets a lot of money. It's uh, a form of modern slavery. Now, you may disagree with me, but your national government does not. Okay? Right now, the Australian government is setting up and establishing a commission into modern slavery. And they are taking submissions. They've been receiving submissions. And we, our fellowship, ACCI, has presented them with a submission for modern slavery. Uh, The senators that are involved in this invited us to meet with them this week because of our presentation. And they have asked for us to be an expert witness at the commission. There will only be about five or six expert witnesses asked to come to the commission from around the country, and your fellowship is one of them. Do you know what that means? It means that the federal government and the senators and the people conducting this research on modern slavery acknowledge that your fellowship is an expert on modern slavery, specifically with children. Now, do you see how good we are? Oh, you shouldn't say that. You're an Australian. You should say, we're not very good at this. No, we're good at this. Not me. I'm not good at this. But our people are good at this. Do you see how good we are? So when I talk to you, I am not giving you my opinion. Do you understand? I'm not telling you, oh, look, you know, this is just an idea. Listen, let me say something to you. Governments in the world and your Australian government are actively engaged in anti-trafficking, anti-slavery, and one of the greatest places where the trafficking and slavery occurs is in Christian orphanages around the world. We have to change. We have to change our concepts and we have to change our practices. Most people support children in orphanages because it gives them a fuzzy feeling. But it doesn't do the children any good. And we shouldn't be doing it for our warm, fuzzy feelings. We've got to do it for what is best for them, not for us. We have to change. It's time to change. The world has changed. We must change. We have to move away from our outdated, old-fashioned, wrong ideas. It's okay when you do something and you don't know any better, but once you know something better, you are obligated to change. Isn't that right? See, my mother brought me up on chips. I had fried chips at least three times a week, sometimes four or five times a week. Can you believe that? I was a little boy, and that's what we ate. We ate chips, you know, egg and chips, egg, bacon, and chips, sausages, eggs, bacon, and chips, pie, and chips. Do you want me to keep going? I can keep going. I can tell you now chips goes with absolutely everything. Salad and chips. Bread and chips. 
Is there anything better than a buddy? You know, uh, just put the chips, plenty of butter in the chips. You know, I grew up like this. I can eat chips for breakfast, chips for lunch, chips for dinner, no problem at all. And then my doctor had a word with me. And I didn't like it. I did not like it. He said, that ain't doing you any good. And I had a few problems. And I could see that I had a few problems, but I never connected it with chips. And he said, you've got to stop doing that. Now, that was a tough decision to make. It was a painful decision to make, to move away from what I was told, the way I was brought up, to something that was better. I'm telling you now, when it comes to children in orphanages, it's like giving up chips. You shouldn't do it. It's very bad for everybody. What do you do in its place? Because there's an evident need. What we must do in the, in the place of building, wasting enormous amounts of money to build buildings, which we never belong to us, belongs to somebody else, and we build all those buildings and we support those kids. If we took all that money and we just used it to transform communities where the children were poor so that we don't start just feeding a kid or giving lunch to a child, the second thing you shouldn't do is pay for children to get fed every day. Why would you pay for children to get fed every day? It's a waste of your money. You say, but the child gets fed. I, yeah, I, I know that, but surely the purpose is not. To... We want to deal with poverty. And if you want to deal with poverty, don't feed the child. Because if you feed the child, the child is dependent on you. And if you don't feed them, the child won't get fed. And when you go away or you stop feeding them, they still don't have a solution to their problem because they're dependent. They've got to find somebody else or something else to be dependent upon. And dependency is one of the root causes of world poverty, a sense of powerlessness, of inability to, look, to do anything yourself, not having the skills and the ability to provide for yourself. That's one of the root issues of poverty. It is not a lack of money nor a lack of resource. It's, it's a sense essential belief in yourself that you are useless and totally dependent. We have to break that. Don't go giving lunch to kids. Don't build orphanages. Take all of that money, go into a community, sit down with them, and talk to them about how they can feed themselves. What can we do to reduce poverty? What can we do to feed all the children in the village? What can we do to keep them safe so they won't be trafficked and they won't be vulnerable? So we sit down and we transform the whole community. We do community development. We do crops and, and, and uh, gardens. And we teach them how to do fish. And we, we teach them you know, all sorts of stuff, micro-enterprise, so that the parents can feed their own families, get a business, get a profit, pay for their kids to go to school, better education, cleaner water, educate them about water. The whole village rises out of poverty. Within four years, we can take most of our communities from being poor and unable to feed their children and educate their kids to a community of self-sufficient, self-supporting people that can educate their own kids and feed themselves with surplus. Amen? That should be our biblical goal. Not charity. Okay? Giving them handouts. But justice that deals with the root causes of poverty and sets them free. That's what we want to do. So we're doing that. And as I said, 35,000, That's amazing. All of those kids being helped and transformed and changed. Now on top of that, there's another number. It's in addition to that. It's adults. 
How many adults did we help by going into communities and doing all this thing? The answer is 406,000. So you add the 406,000 to the 360,000 and you end up with a big number. Call it nearly 800,000. And that now becomes how many times the population of the Northern Territory? Three. So in two years, we've effectively changed the lives of more than three times the entire population of the Northern Territory. That was done by 140 missionaries. How can we do so much these days compared to the little we used to do before? And that's because we use our resources much more effectively. (coughs) We're just not feeding the same thousand kids week after week. We take the same money, transform that village, then move to the next one. Transform that village and move to the next one. Transform that village. Not wasting money on institutions and buildings of orphanages. We're taking that money and dealing with root issues and changing the lives of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people because we're doing it better. There's nothing wrong with feeding, but there's a better way of dealing with the problem. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what your mission is doing. And we are doing it effectively. So I just want to thank you for your engagement and your involvement with us. And I want you to know that we do know what we're doing. We have great results. We have an an enormous success in the things that we're doing. So much so, not only are we acknowledged by Australian government and DFAT, but the United Nations have had us presenting in Geneva and in New York So much so that the communist government in Vietnam give me more money every one day offering every year than you do. I'm not saying you don't give enough. I'm saying they give us more. The communists give us more. And they tell us to take the money and please use it outside of Vietnam for all the people. You've done so much for us. We want to. And when the communist government take an offering for one day, it is sort of mandatory. You better not not give. You turn up for work in your communist government office and uh, the guys in charge will give you a little lunch, you know, a cup of green tea, a bit of rice, or, and then say, right, our boys, give. And they give because they know who we are and what we do. Uh, so we get recognition from governments there, the Sri Lankan government, the service involved in training all their politicians and their social department heads in new ways of you know, effectively training and developing people because of this issue of child abuse and uh, modern slavery. So we're engaged with governments. We're engaged at all sorts of levels. You will not find a better mission to work with than this one. You can find others. There are others. Yes, but you won't find anything better because the people that we have, you have, not me, them, they are fantastic. They really are great. Amen? And when you invest your money, you're putting it in a great place that's going to touch the lives of multitude thousands of people. So when you're thinking about this, you should say, Pastor Ben, I want to I make a pledge to give it to ACCI. I know it's going to be used well. I know we can go and see it at any time. I know it's going to be effective. I know it's going to be productive. I know it's going to be professional. Amen? All right, so that's the big sell. 
look, it's what I do. Uh, it's not a job, okay? Um, I should be retired. I was on a tour recently, and someone said to me, what do you do? And I, and I told him, oh, yeah, okay, you retired? No, you're not retired. Why aren't you retired? I said, I love what I do. And they asked me, and I just got passionate. I get passionate when people ask me, and they say, whoa, you really do like what you do. Yeah, I do. I do like what I do. And they don't pay me full time to do it either. So I just do it. Amen? So I'm passionate. So you get the passion. You get the feeling. You get the heart. You get everything else. And that's me. And um, you and I may disagree, but you go, I I love you. You love me. uh, But I do know what I'm doing. Yeah? I do know what I'm doing. And I do it passionately. I want to tell you a story. Because if I keep talking about this, we'll keep going forever. There is a little video clip that I would like you to see uh, as we wind this part up. And then I'll tell you the story. Thank you. It's subliminal. Did you get that? We live to see a world where all people have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to choose, believe and express their faith. Where justice and equality are true for everyone. And where individuals, families and communities are empowered to be the change in their world with equal voice and equal value. This mission unites us all as we reconcile all things to Christ. Told you it was short, didn't I? You didn't believe me. You thought he's a preacher. It can't ever be short. But that was good. All right, I want you to understand the difference there. We're talking about justice and equality, etc. I want to tell you a story. In the Bible, there's a book. It's called the Book of Ruth. Book of Ruth is the romance story of the Bible. It's sort of the Bible's equivalent of a Mills and Boone. Not that I would know anything about a Mills, Mills and Boone. I've never read it, neither has my wife. But it's what I've been told a Mills and Boone would be like, you know. And I'm sure none of you would admit to reading one either. But the story is about this woman called Ruth, who lives in a country called Moab. And uh, she, she's, um, you know, the, the, the people of Moab don't like Israel. Israelites, Jewish people, right? There's a cultural gap, a religious gap, and an and antagonism towards them because of the battles and fights that they've had over generations, etc. So they, they, don't like, they, don't, they don't like the Jews. But a Jewish woman by the name of Naomi moved with her husband and two sons from Israel into Moab, probably for business. We're not sure. And As they lived there amongst those native people of Moab, the sons married local ladies. One of them was Ruth. So there was this woman, Naomi, her husband, her two sons, and her two daughter-in-laws, one of which was Ruth. Something happened. Again, we're not sure exactly what, but in a short period of time, the husband died of Naomi and her two sons died. So it now left three women. Three women unable to support themselves in a time of famine. So the mother-in-law did what was traditional and said to her daughters-in-law, you need to go back home to your family and ask them to support you because you don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. We have no means of support. Go home. So one daughter-in-law went home. But Ruth, she said, I'm not going. I'm going to stay with you. Wherever you go, I will go. And I'm going to do my best to support and to help you. So Naomi said, well, okay, thank you. If we're going to do that, we can't stay here. We'll die because you don't have any laws of grace. We need to go to Israel. There we will find help. 
So Naomi and Ruth went to Israel, and when they got there, Naomi said to Ruth, now this is the way we're going to survive. It's the way of the law of God. I want you to go to a particular farm over there. I want you to go there and watch what they do, and do what the poor people do there. So she turned up with a little basket, and she watched them in the fields. And the law of Israel is that when the reapers reap the harvest, whatever drops behind them, they cannot turn around and pick it up. So they have to keep going, right? And the reason for that is the poor people are coming behind, and they pick up anything that's dropped to the ground. And so she would just pick it up, pick it up, work all day, fill up her basket, go home, make bread, and give it to her mother-in-law, and they would survive another day. It's subsistence living, but... That's the law of grace that they were provided for in the smallest possible way. It's good charity, right? Now, after she'd been doing this for a while, turning up every day, the man who owned the farm, a guy called Boaz, he's down there supervising the workers in the field, and he noticed this woman. She was a stunner, you know. He turns to the young men working in the field, and the, the original Hebrew, translated into English, says, Who is that gorgeous-looking chick over there? <laughs> and they say to him, That's Ruth! She's a Moabitess. Is it? Whoa! You know? And, 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 and they said, Haven't you heard about her? She's, you remember that? She's that one. She's that woman who left her own country, her own family her own culture, her own language, and came to Israel to take care of her Jewish mother-in-law. Whoa, I I know that, sir. Whoa, fantastic. So he says to the young guys, drop a lot more stuff. Don't do it by accident anymore. Deliberately drop some stuff. Keep that woman coming back day after day. So the young man would drop a bit more right in front of Ruth, and she'd pick it up, and she'd go home and say, hey, we got enough for two loaves of bread tonight. Then, as days passed, and Boaz kept his eyes on this good-looking woman that turned up every day in a field, he decided to take it to the next level. He said to her one day, would, would you like to have lunch? Yes, she said. He said, okay. So he, she sat down with all the other workers, and he provides her with lunch, you know, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of this, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of goat's meat, whatever it was, dip this in there, you know. They had lunch together, and he talked to her, talked to her about her story and everything else. And when they finished, and she's going to go back to work now, okay? She's going to go back to picking up stuff off the ground, and he's going to go back to the harvesting. Listen to what he said to her in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel. Because of what you're doing, you know, with your mother-in-law. The Lord, the, a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. He said, God bless you, lady. May God bless you. May God look after you. May God provide for you. You've come under his wings. Fantastic. God bless you. Great. So she went home. Said to her mother-in-law, hey, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. You know, that guy in the field, you know, he, um, I noticed he'd been looking at me a bit strange. I look around, he's always looking at me. But today, he asked me for lunch. Ooh, did he? Uh, yeah, we had lunch together, and he said, the Lord bless you, and the Lord cover you under his wings. And, uh, and you know, the Lord's going to, he was impressed, yeah. 
So now the mother-in-law says, okay, Ruth, now we're going to go to phase two. This was a plan. At that stage, Naomi said, I'll tell you something I haven't told you before. That's not just a random farmer I sent you to, nor is he a random farmer. This is one of your relatives. Uh, But he doesn't know that yet, so we're going to educate him. We're taking this up a notch now to phase two of the plan. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to the field, but this time you're not going in the day. You're going at night time. You're going to go at night time. The men have been working all day, and they'll work well into the night until they get tired. Then they'll lie down, go to sleep, get up with the sun in the morning, get back into the work again. But I want you to go at night when they're all asleep and find Boaz. You'll see him. He's lying out there on his own. He's the boss. He's got the best swag, you know, all the rest of it. Go there, and, and, and he would cover himself with a cloak. So he said, you must do exactly as I tell you and say exactly what I tell you to say in the morning. She says, okay. So she goes there, lifts up the uh, cloak, and lies at his feet. So he is lying this way, she's lying that way. Yeah? Picks up the cloak, lies it over her, lying this way. He doesn't know. He's asleep. Nobody knows. She's snuck in in darkness. In the morning, of course, he's starting to stir, and he feels, what's that? So he... He looks, looks up, and there's a woman, and he jumps up, and he's, hey, whoa, no, nothing happened, all right, no, 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 and all the young men are looking, oh, yeah, right, yeah, no, no, I don't know where she came from, and he says, who are you, and listen to what Naomi is told to say by her mother-in-law, listen. Ruth says, by her mother-in-law, Naomi. Thank you. You're paying attention. That's good. I got you, haven't I? This is what she says. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Now notice, she says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now compare that to what he had said. He said, God bless you. And put you under his wing. She says, hey buddy, that's nice. But you have a responsibility to put me under your wing. You can't expect God to fulfill your responsibility. Put me under your wing. If you're fed income, if you really believe it, come on. Stop saying God bless you and do something. Isn't that interesting? She uses his phrase to show him his responsibility. Reminds you a little bit about what James says in James chapter 2, verse 16. And one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and be filled. But you don't give him anything. Nothing for the needs of the body. Then what does that profit? So if we're just saying, I'll pray for you, God bless you. Yeah, let's pray for these people around the world. Yeah. Let's pray for the missionaries that go. Yeah, let's, let's just pray for that. Nice. Okay, good, but not enough. Prayer does not absolve you from the responsibility to be engaged, does it? Prayer is not a substitute for our generosity and our need to provide. Isn't that right? Ruth was a missionary, and he needed to put her under his wings and says, You have come. 
I will provide. Ruth was in need. And he needed to do more than just say, well, God bless you. He needed to say, I will. I will help you the best I can. That's where we are as a church, you know. We can pray for all the needs that we know around the world. Or we can take this and say, you know, it's nice to pray. And it's important to pray. But I have to go beyond prayer. I have to do something. I have to go beyond just liking it on Facebook. I have to actually do something. I have to engage. And that's what this is. What is the degree of your engagement? What will you do? What can you do that will help those who have gone as missionaries? What will you do to help those who are in need? That's what this is. It's a challenge uh, to be the wings of God to those who are in need. Now, this story doesn't finish there. He says to her, okay, yeah, fine, good. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Leave it with me. So he goes and he deals with the elders and he has some, you know, cultural things to deal with, really strange cultural things. And so he goes through the whole cultural process and eventually they get married. Wow, fantastic. So he does take it seriously. Actually, he takes it very seriously because his engagement to decide to help Ruth and to be a provision for Ruth is such that he's willing to, to take it completely. Do you see what I'm saying? He married her. Not just, yeah, I'll give you a bit more every week or I'll give you some cash. He said, right, oh, let's, let's, let's really engage. Let's really take this seriously. Let's take on my responsibility entirely. Let's do it. And he did it. And he married her. Consequence of that marriage was they had children. Let me say this to you. When you begin to help those who are in need, when you really engage with this, and you say, yeah, I want to I help. I want to extend the wings of my provision and my help over others. You will become more profitable. You will become more productive. You will become blessed. Now, they had a child. Now, that child's name, whether you know it or not, or might not realize it, something, you know... Uh, the child that they had, I'm trying to find this out now, was called Obed. Have you heard of Obed? Most of you probably haven't heard of Obed. Obed got married, and he and his wife had a child. Now, his name was Jesse. You know Jesse? Because Jesse got married, and he had a son, and his son was David. So Ruth and Boaz, because Boaz accepted his responsibility because he was willing to engage and do something for the need then they produced David the great king of Israel who became the great 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 grandfather of Jesus Christ the Messiah all because one man when challenged decided to say you know what I'm going to rise to the challenge he changed the destiny of his family he changed the historic direction of his family he brought blessing to his world. He was a blessing to the nations of the earth and to multitudes simply because he did what he could. He did what he could. You know, when we engage with God, we'll have a greater influence than we can ever have on our own. We have the opportunity, you have the opportunity with this to transform the lives of multitudes. In such a way that you can literally change the course of history for many. You can change families. You can change people's uh, 
opportunities. You can do so great things, so many great things, if you'll do this, just like Boaz found. Now, when David writes his Psalms, many times you can read it for yourself. He uses a phrase frequently. He talks about the wings of God. Have you read them in the Psalms? How God has stretched His wings over us. How we come under the wing of His protection. So now you know where he got the idea from. When you keep hearing David talk about the wings of God, he got the idea from his great-grandfather. Because he grew up with the story. Don't you think when he was a boy, his dad told him about, well, you know, your great-grandfather, and there's a story in this family, son. Uh, I want to tell you, you're not entirely Jewish. Oh, I am. No, you're not. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what happened to your great-granddad. Let me tell you about what happened to your great-grandmother. And, 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 and he and she, she said, oh, put your wings over me. Oh, yeah, the wings of protection, the wings of provision, the wings of blessing. They've been put over our family. And, and this is where we come from. We come from a family of grace. And we come from a family of care and provision. And this is what it's all about. And David's out with the sheep and he's riding. And he says, well, you know, God, just as my grandfather put his wings over my grandmother... Will you put your wings over me? You see how deep it entered into the family, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. Because of what happened when a man said, you know what? I want to do more than pray for you. I want to do more than just say bless you. I want to engage. I want to do what I can. Today, that's your opportunity and our decision are we going to just say well we'll pray about it or are we going to say the only thing I'm praying about here pastor is what will I do because we need to realize we can't do nothing we don't have the option of doing nothing but we do have the option of doing what we can do and when you respond to this mission's appeal and you give and I want you to know that God will turn what you give to Him into a great blessing for others. Amen. You can be the wings of God to many needy people today. So, Father, I thank You for this church, and I ask You to bless them. I ask You to prosper this church and all the people of it, so that, Lord, from their prosperity, from the blessing that You have given to them, that they would rise up to the opportunity to be as the wings of God to those who are in need. And as they cover them with their generosity and as they cover them with their giving, Father, that, Lord, I just know you're going to bless them. You're going to multiply them. You're going to prosper them, Father. They're going to be enriched as they change their destiny in the future of multitudes because they've risen to their responsibility. I thank you for them. Bless them. Make this church a church of great influence where rivers of blessing will flow from this place to many parts of the world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 One more time, why don't you thank our guest, Pastor Alan Davies, for being with us today. I really hope you do on the way out. Grab our little mission magazine. It tells you about our global partnerships and what we're involved with and What's excellent about this weekend is today, after today's service, our our mission team, they're going to be having a lunch meeting with Pastor Al where they're going to be continuing